Berkey, welcome back to Beyond. Really fired up to have you on again. Of course, we're in the series uh, Roadmaps to Resilience. And Berkey is a, a mindset coach and behavioral specialist. And he went and attended uh, University of Berkeley, one of the premier institutions in the world, to share his insights. And what I wanted to do today is, you know, if we look at the headlines that are out there today, it's uh, nothing but fear. It, you know, the media has an agenda. Um, the media, just like the military and the CIA, has an agenda to craft public opinion, perceptions, and what we think about daily, but they can also have unintended consequences. But if I look at some of the headlines right now in media, second wave fear grows from, from pandemic standpoint. 3,000 daily deaths by June, question mark. Uh, drones to check temps. I mean, it's just this Orwellian sort of existence that we're in, Burke. And I just want to sort of start off with, if we look at it as where we're at as a country, uh, you would agree, we'd all agree, we're really in the thick of it. And I'm not sure if we're experiencing historical pandemic or historical overreaction, overreaction uh, rooted in fear. Whatever the case, the bottom line is anxiety, depression, and hopelessness are at a fever pitch in America. For parents juggling multiple stressors, what are some easy tips that you could provide to parents to talk about COVID-19 and kids? Because that's one of the things I don't think that's really been talked about. It's really focused on the adult experience. Right. What about how, how do we communicate to, to kids living under the same roof? Right, right, man. These are great questions. And I think I, first thing I want to take a, take a kind of some time to focus on is that fear. You're, you're saying that fear is at a fever pitch right now. We are at a place where people are experiencing a lot of fear. And that's really what's happening on the global level. There's people that are experiencing this. I don't know what the future entails. And if we don't know, if there's a big question mark of what's going to happen, then what we start to do is we start to create all the potential realities that'll pop up. And when we start to just mask our future with all the negative things that can happen, then we take in all the information from the media, our friends, we start to become, we become paralyzed pretty much. And so the paralysis is what's destroying us. It's not actually the situation, it's our thought about the situation. When we are spending more time worried about what's going to happen, then we can't do what needs to happen here. And I always say we start with a global perspective. What is the global problem? the root, right? Then we move into the context. What does it look like in this situation? And then in this specific situation, what can I do, right? Global, contextual, situational. That's the way that I look at it. So fear is, is a very dangerous thing. And there's an acronym that I always use. Fear is a false evidence appearing real, right? What it is, is it's something that we believe to be real, but it's just an apparition. It's just a ghost. The problem is when we create all the what ifs, we cannot focus on what we need to focus on now. So if you're looking at, let's say, parents who are afraid of what the future is going to look like, that means that their kids are going to take on that fear, right? In a lot of ways, we don't understand that there's unintended consequences with us expressing fear or anxiousness or nervousness or short-temperedness when, when our kids are there. Because when they see that, they're going to start to see that's how the world is taken on. So the first thing you have to do is before you try to help your children is you got to help yourself. You got to focus in on what is it specifically that's happening to me? What am I afraid of? Write it down. What are all the potential realities of what could happen? And the first thing that you do is when you put that up, and I always kind of, I, I'm, I like using my board, so I'm going to use that real quick. But there's always, the thing that we're afraid of is right here. This is the thing that we're afraid of, of what could happen if we take that risk or if this circumstance happens or whatever. Right here is the fear. So there's the fear and the thing we're afraid of. We're over here. This is us. All we see is all the potential negative things that can happen. 
all these negative things can't all happen at one time. The potential of, okay, 3,000 deaths or drones or all, we're taking in all this information, the news is not helping any way, shape or form of creating this beautiful visual of all the dangerous things that are going to happen, let alone, am I going to be working after this is done, right? Is my business going to be existing after this is done? But when all our vision is, is what could happen, then we're never going to be able to face what's actually happening. And in a lot of ways, being able to teach your kids through your example is more important than just talking to them right? Obviously, you're going to talk to them. Obviously, you want to communicate, and we'll take some time to talk about that. But your kids, you know this as well as anybody else that's a parent. They know that what you say is not what they hear. What you do is what they hear. That's what they take in. And so they take in that energy. So the first thing we have to do is we have to write down and realize that these are just all potential fears. Once we erase these fears, then we can actually deal with the situation at hand. The thing we're afraid of is always smaller than the fear about it, right? And that's, yeah, that's one of the things that I always tell people. Yeah, that's great, Burke. And you know, it's funny. Again, I'm going to go back to headline because mm -hmm. to me, it feels like we're living in times where we, we know information is, is manufactured. We know there is fake news. It's a popular um, word these days. Um, and we can't trust everything we see in the media. And that's just nuts right. to think that we can. Um, you know, the, the source we're going to for our information certainly has to be vetted. Um, I read a headline today that says April jobs reports uh, likely show the highest unemployment rate on record. 26.5 million unemployed claims were mm -hmm. filed, which is equivalent to 16% equivalent to of the workforce, which would suggest that um, unemployment's over 20%. Now, that may be true right now. Um, what it doesn't account for is a potential bounce back of the economy and what that's going to look like. But everything you're saying about fear is so vital because as adults, what we tend to focus on, right, our focus becomes really big, right? If we say the world's over, we'll look for uh, evidence that suggests the world's over. If we say, no, it's only the beginning and all these great inventions are going to be had because of this time and this place, then that's going to be your reality that you create. So I think it's really important. But as I think about it, and I think about the question on kids, what, what are some practical things that adults and children alike can do to deal with mood swings or sadness and depression uh, during this crisis? Because you're right, if we're modeling for our kids right. how we should be in crisis and times of difficulty, we're still gonna have some of those feelings of sadness, loneliness, depression, and uncertainty. So what are some things that you would recommend, some tips that we could use to manage those emotions? Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I always relate it to light. Putting light on a situation is one of the most powerful things. In our society, and in a lot of societies, weakness, fear, doubt, all of these things that we have, insecurity, we don't share with the world, right? We kind of have that fake it till you make it mentality. But the truth is vulnerability is light. When you express what is happening on the inside, it is no longer yours and yours alone. The problem is that our brains are echo chambers, right? If I only listen to my friends, this, is, this happens in the same way. If I only listen to my friends and their political views, all of a sudden I become stronger and more polarized in that political view. But if I allow myself to hear and put light onto other ideas, then I become more open-minded. I become more reasonable. I become more willing to listen. In the same way, when we have this echo chamber of what we're thinking in our heads, situation happens and our interpretation of the situation is usually negative then we identify it with how there's something wrong with us then what happens is we build this kind of avalanche of all these thoughts that tell us why we're not enough why we're not going to be strong enough to survive this why you know what i mean all the negativity just begins to brew within us opening up and expressing what is happening on the inside is one of the the largest and most powerful ways to release to get yourself back to neutral because at the end of the day the goal is to get to neutral 
a lot of times people are like, hey, jump from negative to positive. That's too big of a jump. If you can just get to neutral, then you're in a good space. Don't think glass half full. Just think halfway. That's reality. At least let's start there. So as parents, you have to be able to be vulnerable with your children and tell them what you're thinking. Tell them kind of where you're at. Hey, it's okay to be a little bit nervous. I felt nervous, but this is how I combated it. I wrote about it. I understood that it was just a feeling. One of the most powerful things that I do when I work with my clients is separate their emotion from them. Instead of saying, I'm angry, I'm scared, I'm overwhelmed. I am is a very powerful statement. And what it is, is it's almost a creative statement. I am, whatever it is, becomes manifest. But if you say, I feel, then all of a sudden you've separated yourself from the emotion. Therefore, you do not have to embody and become the character of fear. Because if I'm the character of fear, then all that I do will produce fear. All that I receive will be interpreted into a fearful space. It'll always be constant threat, which means I'm working from my amygdala, fight or flight. And I have no ability to come to my frontal cortex. But if I'm able to say that I feel this emotion, then all of a sudden I can objectively look at it and then say, what do I want to do with it, right? That's another way of shining light on the truth. The truth is not that you're, you are fear, right? The truth is that you feel fear. If you feel fear, then that means there's a whole other piece of you that doesn't have to live in that space. So these are kind of some of the things, talking about what you are feeling. And if you have no one to talk to, write about it. Trust me, when you write, it, it releases a piece of you that you can't really understand because your thoughts are flying at a million miles a second. When you write, you are focused, focused, uh, forced to organize your thoughts into a way into which you can coherently understand. Then you can look at it and be like, oh, that's what he, that's what she feels. And again, what it does is it separates. Our job is to separate you as far as you can from your psychological fears, your psychological experiences, so that you can then realize I'm still me. And I can make a decision despite these feelings. You know, I like that the whole idea of writing things down because I think journaling is sort of misunderstood. You know, to right. me, journaling, if you took a journal of the last 10 years of your life and you said 10 years ago, you wrote down what you're going through, what you're dealing with in some detail. And then 10 years later, you go back and revisit it and you see the thought process you had. You can really learn from that. In fact, I'd say move it five years forward in time and you journal again right. and you write down the thought process of a problem you came across and things you did to deal with it, you end up with a sort of a living, breathing document that revisits those points in time of how you thought and how you grew from those thoughts and new strategies and new recipes for success in dealing with those times. But I think, I think these are powerful. And as I think about not only how do we project to our kids and how do we talk to our kids about the stresses we're going through and the dynamics of these times, I'm also, I'm also thinking about inner peace, right? And last week, I love what you had to say about the guidance system and and setting up routines for success, such as, uh, you know, certainly diet and exercise, meditation, yeah. and then um, exercise, and, and then maintaining a, a really quality schedule. But I think it's all about inner peace, because if I have inner peace, it flows out of me, and how I'm projecting myself on the world and beyond, certainly my kids and beyond mm -hmm. that, really has a, has a big impact. So what are some things we could revisit? Maybe it's the, the guidance system, maybe it's right. I meditate. And, and I work out, but what are some things we can do practically right. to really get that inner peace? Because I think it's, that's what people are trying to get is a sense right. of certainty and, and at peace within. Absolutely. I think uh, I'm going to take it to a global scale, and I think that it's going to be helpful in understanding the why. The reason that I always go back up to that space, to that root, is because my research is about fundamentals. It's about your values. It's about understanding why it's important to you because anything that I give you, any techniques that I give people, any way that I can empower them, help them, it'll change their life. But if they don't see the value in their own internal life, then it will not be applied. 
right? So one of the things that I say is this inner peace is a lot of times we think it's the right thing to do. We think that meditation is the right thing to do, that it's a good thing. And our society in a lot of ways through religion and so many different things with the laws and everything, it's about being a good model citizen, student, parent, child, right? What I want to do is I want to throw away good and bad. I want to throw away these, the moral requirements of all these things. Peace is good for me. It's important. And because I care about how I feel, I'm willing to do these things for it. It's not because it's right. It's not because it looks good. It's not because it sounds good. It's because I've experienced what it does. Case in point, this morning, I woke up, I felt a little bit, a little bit of stress. And I knew exactly what I needed to do. I needed to go directly into my breaths, do my meditation. Why? Because I want to put myself in a space to where my day is set up for success. And I don't even have to wonder what, what am I worried about? What am I stressed about? It's not important. What I know is that what's important is this present moment and every action I take within it, right? So it's not a right thing to do. It's what works for me. So by me being able to meditate and center and then go over my gratitude, and when I do my gratitude and when I have my clients do their gratitude, you have to feel it. It's not just this banal platitude of like, I'm grateful for. It's why are you grateful? Well, because of this and because of this. I say, if you knew me well, you know that I'm grateful for blank because of blank and because of blank, which makes me feel blank. What I'm doing is I'm getting myself into a state of gratitude, not because gratitude is good and it's applauded, but because in that state, my cognition is at a higher level. My ability to react or actually respond when situations occur, I'm way more on top of it. I'm more clever. I'm able to move in a faster and more productive and efficient way in the world. So when I talk about you know, meditation and I talk about breathing techniques and I talk about all these things that I do, it's not because they're the right thing to do, but it's because it can change your life and give you those feelings of joy, peace, clarity, certainty that you can own because you've built a muscle of consistency and a muscle of clarity and redirecting yourself to your North Star so that you can exist in the world without being a slave to whatever happens, right? So to me, meditation is, it's the, it's, it's the beginning of the process of perfecting my day. Gratitude is the next step. Then remembering what my vision is, what am I trying to create in the world? I envision a world where boundless imagination and creativity is applied to life itself, where the very art of living is mastered and evolved as each individual is empowered to express their unique greatness in the world. I remind myself of that. And then through the lens of my vision, then do I set my tasks. So it's no longer just checkoff lists, it's purpose-driven. This is how I want to live. And that's the only reason I do it. If it was wrong, I would still do it. And that's the mindset that we're trying to get people to understand. This is for me and only for me because it helps everyone at the same time. Yeah, that's really good. So it makes me think that, you know, having an attitude of gratitude, which is a great perspective to have, you know, if we were to go to any other part of the world, we come back to America and say, what, man, I feel so blessed to live here. Why? Because in comparison, in contrast, you can see what you have that other people really don't enjoy. So I always say it's all relative for sure. But you talk about some really important concepts, and it's really about a mindset. And to me, it kind of goes back to what we touched on last week. What are we feeding our mind with? What are we what are we, um, what's the diet that we're constantly streaming into our stream of conscience, whether it be music or movies or whatever. And then I think about what are the quality of our relationships that either support or destroy what you're talking about? Because I'd say that, you know, we, we're probably pretty good at being, um, if you will, mind busters or emotional busters of our own, right? 
we can go from happy to sad in, in a right, heartbeat. Right, right, right. So we're, we're pretty good at it. So if we're trying to stand this really even keel, upward momentum of emotion and energy and, and the positive thoughts that go with it, talk again about um, what are some strategies that people can think about and, and be mindful of as, to, as they're feeding their psyche and their, and their mental appetites and how that can really disrupt that flow of gratitude or being positive and hopeful versus being depressed and stressed. Right. Absolutely. You know, I want you to think of yourself as a radio dial. Uh, this is, this is probably the best way right now. There's a sea of radio waves that are just flowing through us, right? There's good music. We'll just say radio in terms of music. We'll just say the radio. There's good music and there's bad music and it's flowing no matter what. All we can do is decide what we tune into, right? When you tune into something bad, you know what bad feels like. When you tune into something good, you know what good feels like. The problem is we're only using our ears. We're not memorizing what station it is. So we're like, oh, this is good, but we don't know what station it is, so we don't know how to get back. So really what the goal is, is how do you get yourself to a place where you start to notice your emotions? That's why that light, putting that light is so important. When you notice your emotions, you then ask, what station am I on? Like, where is this coming from? Okay, why do I feel good? I had a great conversation with this person. What did we talk about? Okay. Wow, we weren't talking about the events around the world. We were talking about just life. We were going, okay, good times. Oh, we were talking about the future. We we're talking about ideas. We got excited. So then you note that. Okay, this is when I feel good. Then all of a sudden you're stressed. Why was I stressed? Well, I was watching television for two hours. Or I went on Facebook and started commenting. All of a sudden, what happens is you start to notice what stations pick up the frequency that makes you feel better and makes you feel worse. Your job from that point is to be able to memorize those stations and create more of the ones that make you feel good and more productive and empower other people and turn down the ones that make you feel bad, less productive and disempower people, yourself included. You see, that type of clarity, this is at the end of the day, what I tell my clients is like, you are about to be a researcher of yourself. I can pull all the research, all the statistics of all the information from all the research that's been done, all the white paper, but it's not you. I have enough in the tool belt that, that, that can be used for you, but you have to choose which tool specifically works for you. So by you being able to understand what makes you feel good and what makes you feel bad, what makes you help people, what makes you harm people, this is what gives you that power to be able to create that trajectory towards becoming better. Because after a while, you're only going to have the stations that you know are good for you, and you're going to set those stations, and you can just push each dial without having to even work on tuning that dial. That's when it becomes a habitual way of thinking. That's when you're empowered to exist and just enjoy the drive of life. Right. And it seems like awareness is a critical factor to that. So when you think about the clients you have, if you were to say the top three things that I, um, I interact with and I try to work with clients on, what would those three things be? Because it seems to me that if they're top performers, phenomenal state of mind, maybe they wouldn't visit with you. But those that do, it's not that they're not top performers, but somewhere along the line in life, they came across some event right. that has um, maybe stunted the growth potential. What, right. are, are there two or three things that you routinely come across that are you know, maybe consistent traps or sticking points in people's yeah. lives that you help them sort of transition through? Yeah, man. I think you know, it's just like you said, they're, they're, everybody can be doing well in one area. But growth is not a vertical thing. It's an expansive. It's three-dimensional, right? And so in some areas, I could be doing really well as the world would perceive, maybe through making money. And I've worked with founders and I've worked with CEOs and people that are making a lot and doing a lot, but their family life isn't where it needs to be, right? So you kind of understand that we're all growing in multi-directions and multifaceted ways. At the, at the uh, I would say this. Your mind 
is a tricky thing. The problem is we believe our thoughts and we actually think our thoughts are law. And then we actually think that our thoughts are our own. But the truth is, is that these thoughts that we have, and when I'm saying thoughts, I'm saying the self-deprecating ones, the limiting beliefs, the ones that say that I can't, I won't, it's too hard, I'm not capable, I'm not worthy, right? These thoughts are really what inhibit us from making any type of changes in our lives. The way that we think is pivotal on how we show up in the world. And any person that I work with, we literally all go through the same process. Why? Because the mind is the mind. The mind has this ability to be self-critical. And we have this ability to believe those thoughts. So the most important tool that I have to provide for my clients is to separate their thoughts and their emotions from their self. Because when they think it's all the same, then the emotions dictate the actions and the thoughts dictate the actions. Mm -hmm. But when you can separate them, and when they realize, first off, wow, I didn't know I spoke to myself this way, right? And then secondarily realize, I don't want to be this way. These are just thoughts. A tool that I use that's so simple is just to say, these are only thoughts. These are only thoughts. If you're feeling something, it's just a thought that's compounding upon itself and it makes you dwell on it. But if you tell yourself that this is just a thought, that's all it is. It's just an electric, electronic piece of information just that's shooting in your brain then you're not a slave to it. So really the biggest thing that I do is I allow clients to be able to separate their thinking from who they really are. And once they separate, that's where I say, you know, the, uh, my job is not to teach you to run faster, but to cut the parachute. The parachute is your thoughts. You'll naturally run faster when you realize that your thoughts are not the absolute truth. Then from there, the next most empower, uh, empowering thing is to gain a, gain a vision. Understand what it is that you're trying to do on this planet. Remember how I said one of the most important things for human motivation is to feel purpose and related to something bigger than themselves. That in a lot of ways slingshots people to greatness because it's no longer just for them. It's for something that's bigger than themselves. Legacy is one of the biggest things, especially my founders. They want to leave legacy. Parents want to leave legacy in their children. We want to be remembered. And those are huge drivers for success. So I utilize that to help you overcome kind of any impediments in your path. Wow, that's, that's really great. So as you think about COVID-19 times, um, what are some practical ways? Because I, I like all the, all the concepts, right? Because if you have a vision, mm -hmm. um, you have a clear sense of self and identity, and you're able to understand the nuances of information inbound from media and, and get it in context, because you're absolutely right. There's an echo chamber when you go on one side of the spectrum or the other, whether it be Democrat or Republican. I always tell people, I, I don't really see myself as Democrat or Republican. I see myself as a whole bird. Because ultimately, mm -hmm. it, it's not a right-wing or left-wing thing, right? Absolutely. It's the whole bird. And we're all, as human beings, trying to, I would say, for most of us, go after the same things, which is love, success, certainty, yes. upward progression, legacy, eventually leave, you know, leaving a legacy. Um, so I think all those things are really, really important. But that, you know, the next question really suggests that you know, it, it's a person who's aware, um, who, who's on a growth trajectory, who's who's done some reflection in their own lives. You know, it's interesting when people get into a, a certain way, if they haven't mm -hmm. reflected, they're just repeat, they're just, you know, almost condemned to repeat the same mistake Absolutely. over and over again, unless you can reflect and take stock and ownership. And that's the biggest thing, right? It, it, it's as opposed to the blame game of how I got here or somebody slotted me or I was in this relationship and it didn't work and it's their fault. Ultimately, the, the, what I found is the healthiest expression is I chose to be there. I chose to encounter this person. I chose to go through that dynamic. Right. And at some point I was out, right? Oof, the idea man. of having 
uh, ownership and accountability for ourselves, I think is really important. But having said all that, if a person gets to that point where they're, you know, they're meditating and they got the right diet and they got the right routine and they, they got the right guidance system and they're tapped into the right things. Mm-hmm. I like that, by the way, it was a great analogy you used. Um, what are some techniques that they can use to thrive and grow during this time, right? right? For me, it's always been be proactive. Once I'm there mentally and I'm balanced and I'm centered, it's yeah. all about I'm not going to let the fears grow and get bigger. Right. I'm just going to be very proactive, get very creative in yeah. my life. So what are some things that people can do if they're in that healthy way uh, to really thrive and grow during this time? Yeah. To each their own is something that I, that I truly live by. Sometimes the, the idea like proactivity for me and for you right now is this is where we're at. We're like, let's move. This is the time. For some, it's just pause. For some, it's just sit still for a second and just listen, right? It's allowing the unraveling of all the conditioning that you've had in your life, right? Over the past years, decades. Life is not, it doesn't have to be anything right? You know, in the Western world, it's, it's this upward mobility, it's moving, but there's people that I've been in other countries where people are extremely happy, have no stress, aren't worried about getting tickets or pulled over, aren't worried about uh, jobs and paying bills and their mortgage. So there's different definitions of life, a good life, and it depends on what it is that's important to us. And I think that when you get to that space where you're meditative, where you're self-aware, where you're connected, then you just kind of listen and you say, what is a good life? What is a good life? What do I want, right? When I see my family, what do I want for them? How do I want them to feel? How do I want them to, what do I want them to think on their deathbeds? And how can I support a feeling that's good at that time? So that kind of mindset really just shifts things up a little bit. I say goals are just excuses for adventure. If I lived in a world where goals are just excuses for adventure, then all goals really need to do is just give us the impetus to move because I think that's what our purpose is on life. It's to move, to exist, to change, to shift things. And so when I chase goals, I chase them with with a a loose grip because it doesn't have to be that. I learned what it feels like to marry myself to a single idea. I was a musician. I was a single songwriter. Music was everything. And I grabbed onto that with everything that I had. My whole identity was in it. So when I got a callus on my vocal cords and I couldn't sing, I disappeared. What it taught me, though, is that mastery is not about mastering to have, but it's mastering to evolve. That's even in my vision statement, to master and evolve. And so in that space where you are centered, it's listen, it's right, it's find out what drives you, find out what motivates you. And then when the moment comes, act with clarity, with focus, with seriousness, right? But sometimes it's productive and sometimes it's reductive. You know, enlightenment is a reductive process. It's sometimes not adding on, it's sometimes taking things away. Right. And so understanding that everybody has their own process. If I'm on a roller coaster, I don't get on a roller coaster saying, I can't wait till it's over. I want the roller coaster. I want the rides, the flips, the loops. And if you can see life as a roller coaster and have that same mindset, then you'll actually enjoy the ride. And really, that's when you win. Because even when you have a COVID 19, you find a way to see the, the exhilaration in this place because it's there. Just like you said, you can focus on all the negatives or you can focus on all the opportunities. It's all the way we think. Yeah, these are, these are really good, important points and good strategies. And, and let's take it back to a little bit more practical, right? You could be yeah. have a good mindset, mm-hmm. like all these principles. And the reality of life is it's going to hit you like waves. Like if you go down to Huntington Beach or Newport Beach, one of the things you learn about waves that come in sets, they go from small to big. 
Yeah. And then they go back to small and they go to small, big again. And they come in in predictable waves of sets, right? Um, and when we think about life, it's like that wave analogy where they start out small, the ripples, the challenges, and all of a sudden they can get really, really big. And mm-hmm. I'm going to take a headline that I read, and, and, and it's not surprising because there's gamemanship going on with, with businesses and the economy and mm-hmm. you know, businesses have to sh- show profitability or they have to cut the losses if, if they're in, in these times. So I read this thing where it says, my boss is hiring people to replace those of us who are laid off uh, and order existing employees to reduce their hours by half. So the, the goal here is using PPP or the program, uh, payroll protection program mm. to gain an, uh, an advantage at the employee's expense. PPP mm. does not require the business to rehire. It only requires that the loan be uh, forgiven at least 75% if it's used on uh, salaries, utilities, uh, right. et cetera. So how can employees and furloughed people maintain emotional balance and perspective at such business tactics? Because this becomes very personal, right? They let me go, they hired somebody else, or they're telling me to go part-time knowing they're right. hiring other people. Um, you know, what, what kind of hangover effect? First, how do I mentally think about that? And then what's the hangover effect for these businesses doing that? Right. You know, it's on both sides of the coin, it's, it's a dangerous space, right? As a business, that's, that type of culture is dangerous, right? And the, what they take advantage of now they will take again advantage of later in a lot of ways, right? You go through this, you do something as kind of deceptive as that to milk the, the situation for a profit. You know that it's going to leave, that's going to leave a bad taste in the employee's mouth, right? And for the people that are furloughed, good luck glass door when people are commenting on what's happening, right? Right. When all this, so it's this, this karma is not just karma. It's also like, it just happens, right? People are going to react, respond, a reputation will be built for that company. The choices that you make, if they are only selfish and only focused on the bottom dollar, right, and your values are not represented, then it will become discovered. It must. It's the way it goes. You may have success for a moment, but it's short term. It will be short lived, right? For those who are on the other side, my heart, my heart goes out. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be fear. There's going to be confusion. It's okay. You have to express those. You have to shine light on that. You have to verbalize it and it may take some time, but what we can't do is we can't turn it into anger. We can't turn it into a poison that kills us. I think it was Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer said that anger towards somebody is taking a poison, hoping that another person dies from it. Right. It kills you. At the end of the day, it kills you. And so your ability to forgive is not for them. It's for you so that you can be right in your own life. Again, I'm taking out the moral aspect. I'm not saying that forgiveness is good. I'm not saying that you need to do it because God ordained that it should be done. It's if you look at it, it saves you the stress, the anxiety, the frustration, the limiting. When you forgive, you let yourself go. So feel what you feel, honor what you feel. If it is anger, express it, but don't dwell. There's a difference between in the moment and dwelling and writing a story and narrating, right? That only worsens you and your family. Yeah, I heard, I heard it put another way from what Wayne Dreyer said. Yeah. Um, bitterness destroys a container that contains it, right? Mm. If we just hold that bitterness in, it only destroys the person. And I think people then develop a narrative. And, I, and what you said really resonated. Right. And they get stuck in that story. And so they're in the same story from 10, 20, 30 years ago. Right. And it shaped their whole prism, their whole viewpoint on life, relationships, men, women, employers, doesn't matter. And, and the idea of forgiveness is really for you. 
not so much the other person, a way to process what's happening. And look, life's not fair, let's be honest. And right. that's why we work really hard to, to build up our, our stores and our, our fortresses and give us some certainty and security. Um, but you know, th those are real things that are, that people are going through and how you exit this thing, especially during COVID is going to be really important to your mental, emotional, psychological health. That'll also, also ripple into your personal professional relationships, certainly impact how your kids process and deal with stressors in the future. You know, if you're dealing with it really bad now, don't be surprised when your kids grow up to have the same approach. Right. Right. <laughs> so it really matters. I mean, and you know, again, the world's been around a long time. A lot of bad things have happened. We can talk about Spanish flu. Right. We do 100 million people dead. We can talk a lot about a lot of pandemics and a lot of you know, challenges the world experienced. Um, and in fact, if you think back in 1917, not only would we go through the Spanish flu, but World War I. So on multiple fronts, the world was taxed like never before. Um, and, and so how we think about these stressors are really important. So I, I read another headline where it says, the housing market has shifted dramatically. One third of renters missed their payments last month. Uh, and lenders expect 15 million homeowners to default on their mortgage payments, right? Yeah. So there's some real things that people are dealing with. Yeah. And, and, and what we're talking about, more importantly, what you're talking about, is really important to apply these, employ these strategies because the stressors aren't going to go down in the next six to 12 months. They're going to be there. And it's almost like you got to deal with the reality of, yep, yep, this is this, is this, right? And I got to acknowledge that these things are happening and my construct of what control was and certainty was, is being maximally challenged right now. Huge. My idea of what success is, my idea of what certainty and security is, is going to be radically challenged. Um, and I would say, again, it's the meaning we give things that create the emotions that we're projecting out, we're experiencing. So yeah, I don't know if you have something to say about that, but I think, look, there's got to be good techniques to use. And I think you're really hitting on, a lot of things that people can think about during these times. Yeah, it's uh, beautifully said, man. I, I really agree. It's, we're meaning-making machines. We make meaning out of everything. Nothing is nothing. It's how we interpret it that it becomes a thing. If I look at the letter A, what is it? I call it an A, it becomes an A, it makes the ass sound, right? Like that's just what happens. So we are meaning-making machines. That's how we define things. That's how we move through the world because without meaning, we can't exist, right? I can't say turn on the light if you don't know what the light is, if you don't have these random sounds to create the meaning for the thing. In the same way, these situations, we have two methods or options on how we kind of uh, uh, describe what it is or interpret what it is. This is either something that's happening to you or something that's happening for you. And this is cliche. This is cliche. It's so easy to be like, ah. But the truth is, if you believe that it's something that's happening for you, then you will look for the opportunity. If you think that it's happening to me too, then you are a victim. Your mind is at a victim space and you cannot see a way out. The truth is no one's coming to save you. This is a hard, hard reality. But if we accept the fact that no one's coming to save us, then it means that it's our responsibility to act. It's our responsibility to create, get creative. It's our responsibility to find new ways, to find a way when it doesn't seem like there is a way. When I look at statistics, I don't say that I'm not, I'm not a statistic. These are just aggregates of number from people. I am me. There were people in 2008 that became millionaires, that started businesses right after 2008. There are people who have become very successful in bear markets. This is, this is, what it's, it's, this is how it is. If there are people that are doing it, then why can I not be that? 
right? This goes back to pathogenesis versus salutogenesis. Pathogenesis, we look at the disease, try to understand the disease, and we dig down what makes people wrong. Salutogenesis, we look at the people who survived or who were successful, and we find out what they did right. The perspectives both get facts, but one puts you further down the disease, and the other finds out solutions on what you can do to become successful. There will be people that are going to be very There are people who are in your exact situation. I don't care what you're saying it is. In your exact situation, there's 7 billion plus people in the world. In your situation, who will become better and more, why don't you be one of those? Find a way. When you start to do that and then couple that with your meditation and your centeredness and your self-awareness, it will, it will come to you. It's natural because you're not stressing on all the potential realities of the future. You're dealing with the situation and you also have this trust that you will figure it out. There's always a way. Yeah, I think, I think for me, the strategy is be very proactive and then go with the flow. And what I mean by that is you think about waves, right? And we think about surfers, they mm -hmm. don't create the wave they're trying to surf. They oh, identify yeah. the waves and then go with the waves, just like a dolphin. They're not trying to create the wave. They're flowing with the wave. And I know last week we talked about flow and through meditation, we can get in this flow state. And I think it's about getting into that flow state and then having, um, having a very proactive, uh, you know, um, uh, approach to life because the alternative is really not an alternative except more despair, more depression, more anxiety. And I also like what you said that, look, the bottom line is we used to think that cradle to grave were taken care of, or we had this idea that people are there for us and they care about us. I'll tell you what people care about ultimately is money in the bottom line. Let's just, I mean, I, I'm just being honest, right? And the idea that someone's going to be there for you is a social safety. And I think the government has to a degree been there and that's a good role that they do serve. I think that's a good utilization of taxes, but on a personal level, on a practical level, when you're out in your daily, you know, day routine, you may have some parents that will help you to a degree, but ultimately it falls squarely on your shoulders. And I think that perspective you, you alluded to is so vital. The idea that how I look at life of, Hey, it's up to everybody else. I'm a victim right. and I have these kind of rights in life, right? Versus man, it's up to me. If it doesn't happen, it's not going to happen. If I don't make it happen, if I'm not intentional about my life and where I'm going, this is not going to happen. And I think it's a very vital perspective because I think a lot of people will sit around saying, I'm in the victim camp. Life isn't fair. By the way, if you're in the victim camp, you look at what's going on in the world today. There's a lot of people in that boat. So it's happening to a lot of people. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. What perspective are you going to take out of this? Are you going to get better or bitter, right? Are you going to grow or die? It's, it's all in your hands. I think, it's, I mean, it sounds so trite, but it's so true. Life's all about a series of choices. I can decide to, to like a certain person or a certain ethnicity or not, because I'm going to hold all these stupid th you know, thoughts in my head, right? Mm -hmm. um, I can think a lot of things and I can choose a lot of things. And I think what you're saying, some great strategies about how to think about life, how to choose a life that's better for you. Because ultimately out of, out of COVID, when, when we springboard out of this, right. who wants to sit around depressed and sad? How, how, how's that working really? I mean, really practically. And the idea that you can really achieve greatness and ascend height, heights of greatness, like Viktor Frankl, who right. was in the Nazi concentration camps, probably most likely going to be killed, wasn't though. But right. that, that was the reality day in and day out. He didn't know when his number was up, yet had this magnificent view of the world despite such atrocities. There, there is so much joy available right now but our minds are in the way our minds are in the way and our fears are in the way and us absorbing the thoughts and energies of other people is in the way i'm not saying that joy is a blissed out state of zen 
Joy is just understanding that there's an incredible thing. Like if I just looked at what's happening right now, you know, it's, there's quick story. If I wake up in the morning, I stub my, my, my toe on my bedpost and I get angry, right? And it sets my day off in a negative way. I have to take in a couple things. I stub my toe. I have a central nervous system that tells me that I have pains. My body is working, right? I have a bed that's in my room in the apartment that I own or the house that I own that's on the planet, which is the perfect distance from the sun with the moon to control the tides out of billions and billions of galaxies. We're the only thing that we know that is alive, right? There are so many things going right for me to step my toe. And so what I say is it takes trillions of things to go right for one thing to go wrong. When I take a step back and look at the situation and the opportunities that are available and see all the good that's happening despite this, that mentality sets me up for success because I see the good even in the things that don't seem good. And that's where you gain that resilience. We're trying to create roadmaps to resilience. It's if you have the right perspective. And this is why we're nailing this so much because I know in my work, I can give you thousands of tools. I used to be a trainer. I could give you all the exercise you need and all the nutrition you need and say, go. You're not gonna do it because it's not tied to what you really want. Your real value is actually to be loved. That's why you wanna look a certain way. So what happens if you can't touch to the real values, if you can't touch to the mindset, the importance of the mindset, then all the tools are useless. And so getting that centering is one of the most important things because once you have the centering, then we can provide those tools at a high level because you know why you're using them and what for. And it puts you in the right space. So it's just so important to start off with you on the yeah. inside. Yeah. Well, you, you bring up a good point because I think of life in stacking, right? Mm -hmm. If people don't deal with certain things from a long time ago or... 10 years ago or five years ago, things just tend to stack. And the idea right. that, you know, in, the, in people's minds that I dealt with it in their way and they moved on, they really haven't. And if things continue to stack, that's why people self-medicate, drugs, mm. alcohol, because they're trying to get out of touch with their feelings. And the idea what you're talking about at some higher level is through meditation, getting mindful, taking stock of what's going on, taking stocks, you know, stock of the habits, hurts, and hangups, maybe of yourself or, or other people you've experienced. And right. really being able to sort of categorize those in a, uh, in a contextual way, in a thoughtful way, where you can manage it in context, where it's mm -hmm. not blown out of proportion so that when you hit your toe on the bed, you're not overreacting because it's not really not you're hitting the toe on the bed that set it off. It's just a trigger for how you're looking at the rest of your life going. Right, you know, right. Everything else in my life is like me hitting my toe on the bed. Absolutely. And I'm just going to explode because I have this energy that hasn't been dealt with. So I think, again, I go back to, all the strategies you provided, I, I, I go back to the conversation last week where we meditate, right? And, and we get mindful and then we, we, we work, exercise and work out and certainly eat healthy and then get on a routine. And, and it's all about taking stock through med meditation about your life and areas that need to be you know, fine-tuned, if you will. That's when they come to people like you or maybe a psychologist to sort of work through those feelings. And why am I using feelings and identifying those feelings with my person and who right. I am? right? Because it's not really the same thing. So I, I, I just, I, I sort of reflect and I say, boy, um, if I'm stubbing my toe and overreacting, things have stacked to a point where right. it's probably not healthy. And Lord knows in COVID-19 times, there's yeah. going to be a lot of stacking going on. So now is the time more than ever to start utilizing some of the, 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 the principles you're describing here, the approaches, because if you don't, five years from now, there's going to be a blow up. 10 years from now, there's so really going to be a blow up. You know, it's interesting. And I'm going to, this is something that I think is really going to be helpful in cognitive behavioral therapy. 
you know, there's kind of three things that happen when, when we experience an emotion. The first thing is there's an activating event. This is the A. Then there's a belief. And then there's the consequential emotion. What happens is most people have a negative thing happen and they think that that's why they feel the way they feel. For example, a woman sees a dog and she feels fear. She's terrified because she sees the dog, so she runs away. But the truth is, it's not that she sees a dog and she feels fear. It's not that you stubbed your toe and that you're angry. It's not that the COVID-19 has come and this is what, no. What happens is there's a belief. This woman believes that all dogs are dangerous. Then she feels fear. That's the consequential emotion. COVID-19 is the activated event. Your belief is what's going to cause your consequential emotion. Mm. It is our beliefs that determine what we feel. And my work is right here because we can't control activating events. We can only control beliefs, but the good news is activating events don't control our emotions, beliefs do. So if I can get you to see the way that you believe and get you to separate, to become mindful, one exercise that I would recommend to anybody that's listening, just for the week, your negative thoughts, get a little black book and write down all the negative thoughts that you have verbatim. If you can't do all of them, which will be difficult because you have a couple thousand per day, just try to capture one, two, or three. It's an assignment I give my clients, capture your negative thoughts. If you can capture three negative thoughts and then for the whole week, see what they are. First off, you're going to be surprised by what pops into your brain. You're going to be surprised by how negative you talk to your brain. And what's going to be interesting is, is as that thought comes in, you can even try to find what was the belief? What, what did I say about myself? What did, I, what did I think? What would I think about that situation? Let's say, for example, my boss didn't compliment me on something, right? That was the activating event. My negative thought was, I never do anything right. What type of belief is tied to that? They just said or didn't say something. And then the consequential emotion affects your day. And all my clients, I don't care where you are on the hierarchy of employment, all of them experience this. And all of them have it last for a day, two days, three days, four days. And think about how much productivity is just erased because they're thinking that an event is the reason they feel this way. Realizing that it should have been, it's just my belief. By the way, you can apply that to relationships. Oh man, absolutely everything. Dude. <laughs> you it's, can write books on that. <laughs> it's this right here, just being able to understand that the way you see the world is what the world is to you. It actually is a terrifying thought because you're fully responsible, but it's an invigorating thought because that means that I have full control to change it. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people don't like change, right? I, I, I have my belief system, it's worked for me this far, and if I'm a victim, and I like to have the frequency of victimization, right? And everything that comes in is in that frequency. I mean. This is where the, there's an opportunity, man, to, to go deep, uh, to be circumspect, to really take stock and, and really understand what's working or not, because it should be about what's effective, not, not may, maybe what feels good in the short term. But let me go back to the uh, headline I read early on in the, huh? the podcast, where I said, April job reports likely to show the highest unemployment rate um, on record, 26.5 million unemployment claims were filed and is equivalent to 60% of the workforce, which suggests an unemployment rate of 20%. So having said all this, this reality, um, what are some strategies to maintain focus and build resilience and strength? You're talking mm -hmm. about doing a lot of internal work. And now that I'm faced with this and I'm healthy, what can I do specifically um, to really improve my focus, mm -hmm. uh, my intention, build that resilience and strength as we move forward? Right, that's great. You know, the first thing is when, you, when we read headlines and they give us an emotional or visceral experience, right? It's usually because we tie it to us, right? Unemployment is at this level in climbing. You're like, oh, that could be me, right? The first thing to do is to disassociate. That's, that's not me. 
even just verbally, like audibly saying, that's not me, but that's not me, but that's not me. Let's say that you do lose your job. Yeah, but that's not me. Me is what I choose to do from this space. To be able to, to separate yourself from the opinions of the world is one of the most powerful things. And then once you get a little more expert at that, to separate yourself from your opinions of your own mind, your inner critic, right? Because there's just as much headlines and clickbait in your brain, right? So when you can at least say, you're not me, just as those thoughts, those are just thoughts, they're not mine. What it does is it centers you to understand the difference between an opinion and your belief of yourself. Okay. When I have a negative thought and it comes into my mind, I literally say, I appreciate your opinion, but this is what I believe. That's it. Because I don't allow it to be my thought. It's this other critic's thought so that I can stay focused on what it is that I want to do. You know, a lot of times when people are seeing that they are not their thoughts, then they can say, well, what do I want to create? And this is where you have these spaces of time. I would recommend 30 minutes to an hour a day where you just say, what do I want to create? What do I want to create? And just write and don't judge yourself because the critic's going to come in and you just say, you're just a thought. I appreciate your opinion. And just keep writing about how can I create something beautiful in this space? What ideas do I have? I have a client who's literally moved on to creating a closet business, like cleaning closets and everything like that. Everybody's like, how do you do that? I'm like, well, why don't you do it online? You can do it online. Have the camera there and all of a sudden create. And here's the cool thing. Even if that business doesn't work, she has been using her mental faculties. She has been starting to think it's an exercise. She's working her mind out as opposed to being afraid or just playing the same script of her life. She's doing something different, taking a risk, moving in a new direction. It doesn't matter whether it's successful or not, because even after it's done, her brain is stronger. She becomes more entrepreneurial focused. She starts to see what works and doesn't work. And she really gets closer to feeling, oh, I like this about that, but I don't like this about that. You know what I realized? I like cleaning closets, but I like talking to people more. Maybe I should go into a business where I'm talking with people. Okay, let me see. Oh, maybe I can work on the psychology of how and why they clutter. Right. It moves. But creating a space for time, that's why my morning ritual is so important. It's 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the day. But I literally ask what I want to create in the world. I ask what do I want to make people feel in the world. I ask what are my top three tasks. If I could only do one, I failed at everything else and I did one, what would make the day so successful? I am constantly looking for ways to win. And I'm letting myself win even if I do one thing. I'm constantly looking for ways to create something good in the world. What do I want to create today? I want to create encouragement within people. So when I say some, when I say hello to somebody, I want to say it and I want them to feel that I really am saying hello. I want to acknowledge people. That was today. Yesterday was different. Tomorrow's going to be different. But I'm setting intentions because I'm in control of my life, right? I'm in control of my life. Not the activating events, but my interpretations. Yeah. And that's what's most important. So it's like uh, cleaning the closets of your mind every day and organizing that closet so you can have the most effective, productive day moving forward in that day. Reset. Reset. I like that. So as we sort of conclude this conversation, it's been just, it's been fascinating. Always fascinating talking to you, Burke. What is the secret, the secret to keeping your whole self healthy Mm. during this pandemic? Mm. This, I'm going to go full cliche on this. I love myself and it's okay. I think those two phrases are so important in this time. And it's just hard because a lot of people just want to do. And I'm, I am 100% all about doing, but I've been there where I tried to get people to do when they weren't caring for themselves. They would only do for the appreciation of others and that would run out. But in this time, you have to accept yourself in the state that you're at. 
Because as soon as you accept yourself in the state that you're at, you're no longer in the shadow of who you should be. And the shadow of who you should be is not just the lack of light. It is a storm and it holds you down because you're constantly doing something good and you're like, but it's not what I should have done. It's not at the highest level. We don't understand that our saboteur is constantly thinking that we're supposed to be better off than we are right now at a better place. That is the death of us. If I love myself and I accept myself, if I say it's okay where I'm at, but I'm going to work, then all of a sudden you have freed yourself from slavery of this ought self. And this ought self isn't real. It's just an idea in your mind that other people have placed and that you have created. It has never, what you think you should do, it has never done. It's just an illusion. And when you can erase that and then be like, whoa, it's just me, then all of a sudden you can do in your life with the faculties that you have and improve to create what you want to create. I like what you said, because I think, as I think and reflect on what you said, I feel like COVID-19 is an illusion buster. And what I mean by that is we talked last week about, we have a foot in the past, a foot in the future, and we're kind of messing up the present, if you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. But the, the present is the present, right? And, and the idea that, you know, we have this illusion based on where we're dialing our channel and what frequency we're tuning into from media, who's trying to manipulate, who's trying to, um, you know, uh, help us understand how we should think about things, purchase things, what's important, what status symbol is important, our image, all this stuff that ultimately when you're in your deathbed, when you think about life, you're not going to be reflecting on those things. Right. It's almost like COVID-19 is the ultimate bogus buster, if you will, about life lived and what it means to live a good life and what it means. And is it materialism? Is it the house in Laguna? Is it you know, whatever, whatever people do to construct their life and drive happiness. And it's what I've said before in, in Orange County, it's looking good, feeling good and having the goods. And when people wake up one day against the wrong wall, they're going to realize it was about relationships. It was about something deeper and more meaningful. And so I think this is a time to sort of get connected back to what really matters. And if, if anything, it's going to uh, cut through and sift through the, you know, the chaff from the wheat, what really matters in life, bottom line hits the road or you know, when the tire hits the road, it's about those people in your life to be with you and support you during these times. Mm -hmm. It's not the billion followers you may have on TikTok because those people aren't real. And by the way, they don't care about you. They may care about what you can provide to them, but that's it. So that's not meaningful. So I, to me, it's a, it's a really powerful time today because with COVID-19, it's going to sift through what really matters in our lives. And, and hopefully in a way where we can really grasp onto something that's real that's um that's eternal if you will that that has long-term value um, versus what we've been pursuing not not that economics and, and and having a roof over the head and food on the table is not important that is important but we have we have to agree that in america uh we're at the epitome of success and we've taken that to the hundredth degree of, of of things that we we sort of surround our lives with so if anything i think it's an opportunity to uh stop pause reflect take stock and know that things happen for a reason. I believe that. I believe yeah. this time happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason in your life. And if you can have that context as you're going through this experience, um, I, think it could, I think it could be helpful. Beautifully said, man. That's, that's very powerful. And it's, it's real. At the end of the day, all the things that we're chasing, we're realizing, aren't, aren't what we thought they were. Like, I don't have to spend to be happy, right? The, the, we've been bouncing over the ocean and then all of a sudden it stopped and we naturally sink into truth, 
right? Oh, that's good. <laughs> and that's really what it is. Life in a lot of ways. You have, you have the media, we have our friends, we have all the external factors that are pushing us. They're like those two tires that are shooting that baseball out at the batting cages, right? But it's shooting us over the water so we never sink into truth, depth, questioning, doubting. And then finally, something, if we're lucky enough, stops us. And we get to sink in before our deathbed, right? Yeah. And we get to see, wow, all the things that I was chasing I was married to things that were, that were not even about me. When I lost my voice, I lost me. Same thing here. We thought success was status, money. It's not. It's, it's absolutely not. And it's a very, very interesting shift that's happening. And I've, this, is, this is what I call the new rich. The new rich isn't financial. The new rich is holistic. It's expansive. It includes travel, family. It includes suffering. You're rich if you can suffer a little bit and be okay with it. You can exist in the world without having it to be completely in your control all the time. That's an illusion. This type of space that we get to all of a sudden gives us an actual freedom where we're not in a rat race. And we actually can say, you know what? Maybe I don't need all the things that I thought I did. Maybe I can be more reductive and remove these things from my life that are not helpful and center down to what's more important. And then the type of happiness will be, it'll surprise people. Like, this is what I was looking for the whole time, and I thought I could buy it. I thought status could get it. I thought graduating from a good school would get it. Nothing. Right. Eternal stuff that really, really sets us on a path to, to true enlightenment, man. You know, I, what I do is I'm talking about all these ethereal things, but I bring them down to science. My head is in the sky. My feet are on the ground. And that type of ability to mash both of those together. I still want to travel, still be successful in terms of finances and all this different stuff. I'm going to create amazing things. And I already have. I've done amazing things. And I've fallen and I've learned. And I've, this is the roller coaster, right? And if we can see it this way, then we won't get afraid of the loops. Yeah. It's all perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah. Burke, thanks again, man. Back at you. Road to resilience. This is uh, just a master class you're putting on. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. Ben, this is right. great. Till next time. Thanks. Bye.